electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Julia Borston. Today, tech stocks rally. The Nasdaq's on pace for the best day since August, best day for the S&P since July. Then Shopify teams up with Microsoft and Oracle to take on Amazon. Plus, LinkedIn shuts down in China. And then later on, LeBron James business partner, Mav Carter. A lot to get to with Matt, John. Yeah, we're going to start with the chip crunch and supply chain pain. Well, it's not painful for everybody. It's leading to some strong results for Taiwan Semiconductor, posting a 14% increase in Q3 profits, also upping sales forecasts, expecting growth of 24% this year, warning they do expect uh, capacity to remain very tight through next year. Uh, The chips the company manufactures used in all kinds of things, including 5G phones, including the iPhone 13. Apple accounts for about 25% of TSMC's revenue. This week, reports surfaced that Apple may have cut iPhone production, but some component suppliers refuting those claims, saying they see no cutbacks in orders. Needham still lowering iPhone 13 shipment estimates by 10 million for Q4. City adds underlying demand remains robust, but Apple's likely to sound more cautious given these supply constraints. They maintain a buy rating with 20% upside to the stock, guys. And this, Julia, is exactly what we were talking about a couple days ago. And it's like, well, take these things with a grain of salt. Some of the suppliers are saying, well, we don't see a cutback. We only see slices of the supply chain, and we don't exactly know what Apple's got in inventory. And if things pick back up, iPhones are light. They'll be able to you know, air freight them pretty quickly without too big a hit to margins, even though it would be a margin hit. Yeah, easier to ship iPhones than it is to ship Pelotons. So it'll be interesting to see how all these supply chain issues play out. But we're also hearing things like taking the L.A. port here in my hometown and making that a 24-7 port. And we'll have to see if that kind of announcement and that kind of news means that we are nearing an inflection point when it comes to the broader supply chain issues, even just looking beyond chips. But, Carl, if you look at the Apple question in particular, there are so many other factors working in Apple's favor. If you can separate out the supply chain issue, the fact that the penetration is greater, especially in China, a lot of data about how they have more first-time Apple users and the opportunity to sell even more devices to each of those Apple owners. Yeah, there's been, you know, there's a slow trickle of some encouraging headlines regarding all of this, guys. It was Hyundai yesterday saying they think the worst of the auto chip crisis is over and that the industry's reacting pretty fast. J.P. Morgan today says that there's a sign that shipping rates have probably peaked. And then UBS even a few moments ago says that uh, as far as the toy makers go, we believe the top retailers have taken measures to keep shelves restocked into November, December. So we're going to watch it closely. We'll stick with the supply chain theme here, although still 
stocks broadly shrugging off any uncertainty today. Tech in particular is outperforming. Dow's up almost 500. At the top of the index, uh, PayPal, semis, all of fangs in the green. Let's talk about it with CNBC contributor Tom Lee of Fundstrat Global. Uh, Tom, great to see you again. Good morning to you. Yeah, great to see you, Carl. So do you think we're, we're working our way through this sort of supply chain inflation uncertainty? Uh, yeah, I think there is signs that we're at the beginning of the end of sort of clearing up the glitches. Um, you know, I think opening the ports 24 hours a day obviously is a great first step. And, I, and, and in many ways, as you know, when markets sort of see things as less bad, that's good. Um, and it really does change sort of the longer term risk of, hey, our, our price is permanently higher because of shipping costs. And so, yes, it's good news. Uh, to what degree do you think it pertains to, to tech in particular? Uh, if, um, if COVID, you know, and certainly in some troubled states, as you pointed out, continues to fall, uh, may, does the shift of goods uh, move further into services? And does that leave goods and tech, or at least hardware, uh, vulnerable? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, because we don't know what the like post-pandemic world looks like, you know, and as, as cases retreat, that's what we're going to start to see glimmers of. Um, I, I think from a demand perspective, you know, any technology company and, and work from home that had super normal demand last year is certainly going to see less demand. But from a, let's say from an equity perspective, you know, the, the other side of the equation is really relative valuation. I just don't think technology stocks are that demanding right now. I know even people talk about the concentration of the top five and, and their relative market cap. But if you look at net income share of tech and even the top five, it's, it's actually among the highest it's ever been in the last 30 years. So I, I would say tech is still very reasonably priced here. And I think it can really perform even with inflation. And Tom, how does the worker shortage play into this? I mean, you were just talking about the ports, but then there's the question of who's going to be driving the trucks to take all the products away from the ports. So how does the worker shortage impact your outlook on the economy in general, particularly tech? Uh, that's another, you know, from a market's perspective, it's obviously another uncertainty because there are so many job openings and so few applicants available. But the BLS has a great series that shows how many people monthly are actually out of the workforce or staying home because they got to care for somebody with COVID. It's about 4 million a month. I mean, that's 10 months of jobs growth. So I think that there is actual shortage of labor, not, you know, partially because people are afraid to go back to work or are uncomfortable. But I think another part is a practical issue. People have to be quarantined or take care of someone with COVID. So I think that as cases improve and as COVID hopefully becomes endemic over time, I think these start to ease and I, I think the labor shortage is ease. Hot week for Bitcoin. Tom, you still think it hits 100,000 year end? Yes. Um, you know, I think Bitcoin is still uh, really strengthening, you know, the, the narrative around both store of value and protection against inflation and also against, uh, you know, state censorship. So, those are really the three things that have attracted people to owning something like Bitcoin. And because it's a network value asset, you know, and its value grows exponentially, uh, I think there's more people falling into that camp. So, yes, I think 100,000 is possible for your, before your end. Uh, we, this is a tech show, Tom, but you have consistently called energy a fat pitch. And I wonder how you balance some of those classical, uh, classic uh, reopening trades with the ongoing demand for tech, and as you point out, uh, making up such a large part of the indices. 
Uh, yeah, it's Carl. It's a great question because it almost seems like I'm trying to talk about two different story arcs, but I think it's actually a great hedge because uh, you know energy is really the place where we're seeing the greatest structural shortage. You, you know, and, and price has to adjust to reflect that. And energy stocks, which are so underowned, uh, need to adjust even greater. So I mean, you know, as we've said, we think energy could maybe even double this year in price, but on the flip side, if I if I had to think about where investors' mindsets are and the uncertainty of supply chain glitches, inflation, labor costs, all of these are actually tailwinds for demand for technology because the biggest cure for wage inflation is technology. So I think technology is still a great place for investors with the right time horizon to be buying here. Well, with that in mind, Tom, as we look at the NASDAQ up 200 points, do you think there's going to be a divergence between the different categories of tech stocks? I mean, tech is now such a massive category. And if you look at the difference between, you know, e-commerce and cloud companies and social, how would you draw the lines? And is there one piece of this industry that's going to be outperforming or dramatically underperforming the rest of it? Uh, it is. a. I mean, tech is huge now, right? Because it's, it's the largest sector weight in the S&P, but also, you know, the largest contributor to really GDP growth in the U.S. and globally. Uh, I mean, to me, the, the themes that are really rock solid are the productivity that comes from technology investment. So it is still going to be a lot of software, but I think that also means infrastructure. So I think a lot of the industrial-like technology makes a lot of sense. I mean, cloud, we know, is a great sort of long-term story, but it, it is there. It becomes valuations quite challenging and also, uh, you know, it's, you know, it, it's a really widely known and well-adopted. So I wouldn't say crowded, but it's not like there was necessarily a positive surprise. And then I think, you know, FANG to me uh, was consolidating this year. But as you, if you look at the history of FANG stocks, they essentially have PE derating every other year. So this is the year that they're derating. Um, so next year, I think you get the benefit of FANG having both great earnings growth and the, and the probability of multiple expansion. Fascinating. I mean, I, I love that. I love that bridge between tech and energy, Tom. You've been pointing out all week sort of how gasoline, for example, is a smaller share of wallet than it was uh, 14 years ago. And a large part is because you don't have to drive everywhere. You can always zoom. Uh, Tom, thanks. Good to see you. Tom yeah, thank you. And some news we just got in the last hour. Microsoft says it's shutting down its local version of LinkedIn in China. LinkedIn was the last major U.S.-operated social network still operating in China. Launched there in 2014 with limited features designed to adhere to stricter Internet laws in that country. Now, Microsoft said it would shut down LinkedIn due to a, quote, significantly more challenging operating environment and greater compliance requirements in China. It will instead launch a job search site in the region that doesn't have LinkedIn's social features. What I think is so interesting here is that we're increasingly seeing that there are two internets, the Chinese-led internet and the U.S.-led internet, John. And it seems like in a lot of occasions they just can't overlap. Yeah, I think this had been building in particular for at least six months, uh, Julia. We had seen um, the Committee to Protect Journalists uh, just earlier this month talking about how uh, th they were calling on LinkedIn to restore journalists, uh, block profiles in China, journalists who had written 
uh, stories about the black jails, things like that in China. We're just having their entire profiles blocked. That probably indicates the kind of thing uh, that was new or changed. Then also we saw academics having their profiles blocked earlier in the year. The Journal had done some work on this back in May, listing the people whose profiles had been blocked. There was one writer, uh, a Swedish writer, who had done some work, Carl, in college. Um, I think it was a thesis on the Tiananmen Square massacre and had that listed under education in his LinkedIn profile, and his entire profile was then blocked. So Microsoft has tried to do this balancing act of, hey, people aren't posting necessarily uh, full, lengthy, opinionated comments, and so maybe we'll be okay. But it appears that with this latest crackdown, we've seen it break out in in certain uh, sectors against companies like Didi, et cetera. It's also hitting LinkedIn profiles. And now, no more LinkedIn China. Yeah. And it's, you know, we got to keep in mind that there's it's a big world. And uh, Larry Fink just yesterday, Julia, uh, did say there have been big flows into China from the likes of Europe. So it's going to be interesting to see how tech companies on a global scale react to these changing uh, changing winds. Yeah, absolutely. And look, when it comes to social, though, can't forget that companies like Facebook have never really been able to operate there. People can access it through VPNs, but it is a different world when it comes to social platforms in China. And after the break, LeBron James business partner Maverick Carter on a new funding round backed by Nike, Epic Games, and more. Plus, more on the NASDAQ rally this morning. Tech Tech is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Time for a gut check. Let's look at Akamai, RBC initiating the stock at Outperform. Price targets 140. They note Akamai's market leadership position, growing security business, and margin expansion opportunities as positives for the stock. Shares up almost 3% now, still down 7% in the last year. And they've been a serial underperformer, but RBC seeing some value there. Carl? John got some news this morning on LeBron James' new $725 million deal. The basketball superstar's production company, Spring Hill, are reaching that new near-unicorn valuation after selling a minority stake to a consortium led by Redbird Capital Partners, along with Fenway Sports Group, Nike, and Epic Games. Now, James and Spring Hill CEO Maverick Carter will still retain a majority stake in the company. And Matt Carter joins us here at the NYSE today. It's nice to have you in-house. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a Thank very you big me. deal. Um, the money itself is going to allow you to do what? Re- rely less on financing? The money itself, first off, it's coming from four incredible partners, which you named and know, 
who really believe in the company, believe in what we're doing, believe in our mission, our goals. Now what this money will allow us to do is to finance more projects that we want to make. We used to develop projects, take them out to be, be sold into distribution. We'll still do that. But before that, now we'll be able to pick and choose if we want to finance some ourselves. We'll also be able to ramp up our physical production capability to start physically producing all the things that we want to make and also look at some strategic and thoughtful, smart M&A with companies that align with us culturally and get and do the same, same things we do and have creativity at the center of what they do and culturally understand our mission of empowerment. Right, and you've talked a lot about the storytelling element that, that really drives your business. But I wonder, I mean, whether it's films, streaming, fashion, gaming, I mean, how, do, how are you prioritizing all of that right now? What's number one? That's a great question. Well, number one at the center of what we do is creativity and our mission, our mission to empower greatness in every individual. And then that is the thread that we pull through all of those things that you talked about. We happen to be very strong film and TV. We're very strong in our brand partnerships. We have a lot of brands that we work with to create content with. We started uh, our products and commerce business. It's small now, but it's growing. And pre-COVID, we were uh, really starting to build our experiences business. But empowerment is the thread that we pull through everything that we do. It's aspirational and it's a little arrogant, but arrogant aspiration is what it takes sometimes. But we look at ourselves like Disney. They take happiness and pull that through movies, TV, products, experiences, the park. We do that with empowerment. Mav, so interesting to see the different companies um, that you are now partnered with and Epic Games being one of them. Tell us a little bit about what you expect to do with Epic Games and how you see your content playing into this metaverse that we've been talking so much about. Yeah, that's a great question. The metaverse is the future of the world. I'm just happy that we're partners with Epic, so we're going to be a part of that future. And as they build the future of the world and build what the metaverse actually looks like, Spring Hill Company will be their partner as they build everything that's happening in the metaverse and digitally. We will be their partner for what's happening in real life. And how does content play a part in the metaverse? How does things that they launch in the metaverse also play a, come to life in the real world? We did the first ever partnership with Epic where they launched a skin. They launched a LeBron skin in the game, and we did a real-life experience and a real-life piece of content in real life that launched at the same exact time, the first time they've ever done that, and we're going to do much more of that. And again, Epic is a fantastic partner, and I'm happy to be their partner because I want to be on the forefront of what's happening and coming, too. Yeah, it'll be so interesting to see how you move into that game space. But tell us a little bit about the consumer products in the retail space, because you were already doing some consumer products. Now you have this investment from Nike. Where does it go from here? Yeah, that's a great question. The way we're going to think about this is, again, as I explained to Carl, is we're going to take our mission and what we stand for, empowerment, and pull it through everything that we do. So if you think about some of the shows and the IP that we own, we have a show called The Shop that's on HBO that's become a bit of a hit show. Well, The Shop is a show as it stands today, but to us, it's a brand. It's a piece of IP that stands for community empowerment. So now we'll be able to take The Shop and go, what does The Shop look like as a physical experience? What does The Shop look like as products? Is it a male, should it be a, man, a man's grooming, a grooming line for men? We'll actually be able to build out that IP and really expand it in the way that Disney does, but keeping empowerment at the center of what we do, and specifically community empowerment when it comes to the shop. 
You know, LeBron's never been afraid to speak his mind on issues, whether it's politics or health or you name it. And we've had this discussion with, with Nike and other people in professional sports. Is it okay? Do you feel like you're alienating anybody by taking a side, quote-unquote, on, on an issue? Well, that's a great question. You know, at the Springo Company, we have our athlete empowerment brand called Uninterrupted. And it was started through LeBron's vision because he felt that way. He felt he was empowered and needed to be empowered to speak out, and he wanted other athletes to feel that way. So we built a platform and a brand that stood for that. And our tagline is more than an athlete. So to your point, when an athlete has something to say or feel like they need to come out and say something, I don't think anyone should push them. I don't think they have to. It's like the rest of us. They're humans. They have a choice. Then it's fine for them to come out. They have to do that with the understanding that some people may not agree with them. But that's the way of the world, right? Everybody doesn't always agree. And the fact of the matter is if you lose some fans or people that support you, then you have to be okay with that. But I think the key is, and what LeBron has always said, before he speaks out, he tries to make sure he's very well educated on whatever topic he's going to speak about. Right. The other thing I think is fascinating is it's not just about sort of classic content distribution. It's partnerships with Pepsi and Procter. What do you think those companies are thinking? What, what's their mission through you? That's a great question. I think... What they're thinking is, as we look at the world as it's changing, and specifically technology, technology is changing rapidly. Things that used to take 10 or 20 years are changing in six months now. So as you think about technologies, brands still have a mission, which is to communicate their message and sell products. So they used to do that through advertising, commercials. They still do that, but now they have to find other ways to storytell. And they look at us as, the, as a great company to partner with, to be their studio, a content studio of record to help them storytell. Like we did a piece with Procter & Gamble called These Hands, which I'd encourage everyone to watch. It's not a commercial, it's a piece of content, but it communicates the message of the brand of Procter & Gamble, what they stand for and what they want people to know about them. What's so interesting, Mav, is you're talking about technology, distribution. We haven't talked at all about the streaming world that so much content is distributed now and the sort of balance between television, streaming, and what the future of mainstream entertainment looks like. As you get this investment and you think about where you want to be distributing your content, what is your outlook about which platform is going to have the biggest impact? Is it a Netflix? Is it an HBO? Where does it go from here? The truth of the matter is we look at it on a project-by-project basis. The streaming wars that are going on are fantastic for a company like us, honestly. It is great. We want more people in the streaming streaming wars. It's great for us. We've done deals with everybody in town and every single streamer and distribution platform out there. And for us, it's always about who's going to really let us create, understand the message we're trying to communicate, and really let our show be seen by the most people. So we've put shows on HBO, Apple TV, Amazon, IMDb, Netflix. We have a relationship with all of them because they're all good for us. And for us, it's about what distribution platform will best serve the project and the creators creating that project as we go to market with projects. One last thing. One thing I didn't notice really in your materials is mentions of NFTs or crypto or things that other professional athletes are really into. Are you interested or no? Absolutely. I mean, I think as, as you think about NFTs and crypto and mention those, the truth is Epic Games is one of our partners. They're an equity holder in our company who will serve on our board. They're creating the metaverse, which all of this will live in, right? All NFTs, crypto, all of us. And I have a 13-year-old daughter who this idea that there's 
a metaverse and it's like, what is it? It's not, it's, it's not to her, it's normal. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I have a digital life with a house and a animal and pets and I have my real life with my friends and things. So those worlds merging and the, meta, the creation of the metaverse is going to be where all this is going to live, digital currency, NFTs, all of it. So we're absolutely going to be on the forefront of that through our partnership with Epic. Fascinating. You, you got you, you got your hand in everything. You pl- please come back. Yes, absolutely. I will. Great to see you, man. Thank you for right, having man, me. Thank you, John and Julia. John. Well, still to come, products you may like or may not if you're a third-party retailer. Amazon pushing their own products to the top of the search list. Washington looks to take legal action. Plus, watch shares of GoGo. They're being hit hard by an Elon Musk tweet a moment ago where the Tesla CEO said he's talking to airlines about installing Starlink connectivity on planes. That uh, Wi-Fi connectivity stock down, let's see, a little more than 3%. More tech check straight ahead. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. A nice little rally today. All the major indices up about 1.4%. Take a look at the top performers on the NDX. Walgreens, Okta, ASML, PayPal, and NXP. And we'll come back to a couple of those names in just a minute. But first, let's get a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hey, Rahel. Hi, John. Here's what's happening at this hour. Strong earnings beats from four of the country's largest banks. Bank of America shares posting the biggest gains in the group, up about 2%. The evade net interest income coming in strong. The bank CFO saying that next year's net interest income will be above this year's, well above this year's, in fact. Morgan Stanley results were driven by surging revenues and institutional securities. Shares of United Health jumping more than 5% and leading the entire S&P 500, the largest U.S. health insurer, beat estimates and raised profit guidance for the year. Revenues rose 14% of the company's Optum Drug Benefits Unit. Wholesale prices are up 8.6% over the last 12 months. That is the biggest annual increase in at least 11 years. But for August, prices rose half a percent, slightly below estimates. Meanwhile, weekly jobless claims fell below 300,000 for the first time since the pandemic began. And one day after the Biden administration announced the expansion of shipping in the L.A. area, the port of Long Beach tells CNBC that expanding 24-7 will take time and offered no specific time frame. The port of L.A. is expected to provide an update on its plans later today. And a lot of people will be watching. John, yeah. listen back to you. Well, six weeks to Thanksgiving as of today. The Nasdaq up more than a percent today. Let's get to Mike Santoli, who is looking at how the different components of tech are trading relative to one another. Mike? Yeah, John. Well, today, you know, this rally is floating most votes in tech and outside. You have yields down a little bit. The Taiwan semi-comments taking some of the pressure off the chip area. Look on a year-to-date basis, though. We can sort of decompose what we refer to as technology into a few different areas. You have uh, communication services, of course, that's most of FANG in their semis, uh, most directly, and then uh, software. And they've sort of traded off leadership over the course of the year. But look at how they're all clustered with roughly the same year-to-date returns. Also, 
right around where the S&P is traded. Conspicuously outside of this is some tech hardware. Apple is up only maybe 7% year-to-date. That's been a drag, but not really holding things down. And what I think is very interesting is here you had the big semis over software move. That was reflation. That was cyclical. Uh, And then you've had the reverse uh, really since the late summer. It's now coming together. What's interesting about semis today uh, being up the way they are, it was a little bit precarious. You had a lot of chart analysts saying it looks like they may fall down into the soup. They were doing nothing basically for six or seven months. Now maybe a little bit of breathing room still uh, pretty contingent, but also Fang much steadier, as you might expect, given those business models, despite the fact that Facebook has had its issues right now. And I think maybe one of the takeaways, Carl, here is that you didn't have to be laying bets on only one area of tech, even though for months at a time, it seemed like it was kind of a uh, zero sum market. Uh, That's a good look at uh, where we are right now, at least at the moment. Uh, Mike, thank you. Our Mike Santoli. Uh, Meanwhile, Shopify announcing a new partnership with Microsoft, Oracle, and some other cloud providers to help businesses streamline their operations. It's an attempt by Shop to open up its ecosystem and clearly a bid to compete further with Amazon, especially when you consider these massive cloud providers. And speaking of which, in a related story, we're about to talk to Julie Angwin of the markup, who just published a big investigation into how Amazon privileges its own search results, putting products that it owns above better rated brands and search results. Uh, John, they did thousands of searches. Uh, Having an Amazon brand or being one is a lot more important than having, say, a good rating, even when the brand itself is not obviously an Amazon brand. Yeah, Carl, and and the, the folks and the segment of business that's at the center of this is small and medium businesses, which are so important right now as a market for technology companies. We were just talking about back office uh, companies, Bill.com and the ecosystem yesterday as well. But Shopify, a lot of people are underestimating it, I think, Julia. Uh, What it's doing is bringing forward direct-to-consumer tools on one end that allow these third-party retailers potentially more leverage in the marketplace. They don't necessarily have to go to Amazon as much, though, of course, Amazon is really powerful. They have Amazon and a range of other distributors to choose from as well as their own channel. But what this is doing with Shopify and these partnerships is opening them up as an enterprise play as well. They are giving these, uh, these enterprise software players the opportunity to tap into Shopify small businesses that are growing into needing ERP, into needing more database services, things like that. And Shopify becomes the place, the platform where they can find them. There's tremendous potential value here. We'll have to see how they play that, Julia. And yes, and Shopify, of course, also brings so much potential value to those small and medium businesses, especially as they navigate these new alternatives to Amazon. You know, we've talked so much about how Facebook is investing in commerce and this new rise of social commerce and the opportunity for the small and medium businesses to reach their consumers there. Although there's also a lot of talk about how these SMBs are paying the FANG tax, having to go through these third parties and, uh, and of course, pay, uh, pay a cost for that, especially when it comes to advertising on some of these platforms. So we'll see how this all plays out and if there's an opportunity to go direct to consumer without those fees. Now, this Amazon investigation comes amid scrutiny from lawmakers, a House committee set to consider the INFORM Act that would require online marketplaces to collect and verify large vendor information and give customers the ability to communicate with sellers making more than $20,000 gross per year. Now, Amazon previously opposed the Senate version of the bill, 
and they have not commented yet, I believe, on this version. Now, joining us now, the market founder and editor-in-chief, Julia Angwin. Julia, always great to have another Julia on the program. Tell us the results of your investigation. What did you find, and how does it contrast with what consumers are aware of? So what we looked at was what happens when you type in a product name on Amazon and um, a whole bunch of products show up in the search results. And Amazon has said to Congress um, that they do not give an advantage to themselves in those search results. Their house brands, some of which you've heard of, Amazon Basics, some of which you've probably never heard of, Solomo, um, are not advantage, they say. So we ran the numbers. We scraped thousands of search results on Amazon, and we found that there is no question that being an Amazon brand is the most important factor in getting to the top ranking on Amazon. We use machine learning to do this with a statistical analysis, and the results were clear. Amazon brand is more important than all your star ratings, your number of reviews, whether people click on you, it's whether you're shipped through Amazon. Being an Amazon brand gets you to the top spot of their search results. And so, Julie, of course, we don't know what's going to happen with the Inform Act, but could, how could legislation like that impact the landscape and force Amazon to make changes? Well, there's lots of um, things being looked at in Washington to rein in Amazon's power, right? They have 40% of online sales on their platform. Third-party sellers are basically completely dependent on them to reach their markets. Um, Lots of things can help, right? Transparency, for instance, most of these Amazon brands that um, they have, which are, they have hundreds of brands, are not, it's not clear to consumers that, that they're choosing an Amazon brand, right? So even just simple transparency is something that could make a difference. Obviously, the sellers being able to communicate with their um, customers directly is also something they're seeking. But, you know, there's also an antitrust question here, which is, is Amazon using its platform to extend its monopoly as a you know retail marketplace into um, a position in a new market as a seller and manufacturer of goods, right? And that's a question that you know we, regulators around the world are looking at. Uh, Julia, thank you for this investigation. It's compelling uh, the the evidence that you show of what Amazon. Uh, is doing, it make, makes it seem pretty clear. And it's interesting to me, this parallels complaints about Google and how it handles search, preferencing its own services above organic search results. But I think it's less clear that Amazon itself is a monopoly or has monopoly power. Isn't the real issue consumer protection, whether you're looking at the people who are buying the products on the site or the small businesses, which sometimes are individuals, who are being enticed to pay advertising and other fees to Amazon to, you know, raise their products in the rankings only to find themselves then knocked down by Amazon's own products? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I can't help but just sort of note that this investigation into Amazon's search results was actually inspired by our investigation last year into how Google promotes itself in search results. And we analyzed thousands of Google search results and found that they take up more than 40% of the top 
part of the screen in search results for their own products. In, and so we, um, and that finding has been used in many antitrust cases that are pending right now against Google. So we are in the business um, as watchdogs of measuring, right, whether these companies are abusing their monopolies and extending them into other areas. As you note, right, there are always going to be questions about market size. And market size is always the question for antitrust regulation. And lots of people will argue different things about whether they have monopoly power or not. But one way that you can think about monopoly power is can you use, do you have the power to extract excess rents, right? And and certainly the rising Amazon fees and the fact that a lot of the sellers say that they cannot get into the search results without paying for advertising in tens of thousands of dollars of advertising does make you think that their power is fairly extreme. And, you know, it's up to the, the regulators and the judges to decide whether they call that a monopoly, but it certainly is something that is hurting a lot of small businesses. Hmm. Uh, Julia, I can envision someone trying to make the argument, speaking of different arguments, that a classic grocery store has no problem putting private label um, goods at eye level. But I guess the, the point is, if you're going to do that, at least be transparent about it. Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, you know, those are private label because they say Safeway brand. Um, but secondly, um, you know, it's clear to the consumer that they ca- the other brands are right there. There's no, they're not hidden behind. Like, it's not like the ketchup is behind, behind ketchup is behind the Safeway ketchup. And that's sort of what we're talking about here is like, you have to go through pages of search results to even get to the well-known brands. Well, Julia, thanks for talking to us about this investigation. We did get a response from Amazon. Amazon telling us, quote, we do not favor our store brand products through search. There is a difference between search results and featured from our brands, which are merchandising placements. So, John, I guess the idea there is that they say they are clear about the advertising. And that is what Julia is bringing into question. Yeah, that's not clear. Uh, It's not clear that that's an ad if that's what Amazon is saying it is. Anyway, the Nasdaq largely in the green this morning, but a few notable laggards. Chinese tech under pressure again. Pin leading the way. You can see that down almost four and a half percent. Would you like that? VC investment hitting an all-time high in 2021. Kate Rooney's looking at where the money's going. Hi, Kate. Hey, Carl. Venture capital deal flow staying strong through the pandemic. It shattered a record in the third quarter, and it's on pace for an all-time high this year. New data from PitchBook and the National Association of Venture Capitalists shows deal activity topping $82 billion in the third quarter. That brings the total to more than $238 billion this year, and money was spread across almost 13,000 deals. The year-to-date value is already 40% above the record set last year. And as far as drivers, guys, the big one here was mega deals. Those are really the norm at this point. Those worth at least $100 million made up half of the deals inked this year. That total has roughly doubled from last year. Another factor, participation from some less traditional backers. Mutual funds, private equity, hedge funds as well are increasingly dipping into this asset class. Most of them are getting into that later growth stage, which is adding to the size and to the value of these deals. And more than two-thirds of the money spent on these deals came from deals where those non-traditional investors were involved. The bigger funds continue to dominate this funding landscape, but the report also highlights LPs, so those pension funds, endowments, and others potentially at the upper limits of what they can actually allocate 
to this asset class. So fundraising could plateau in the coming quarters. Enterprise tech was by far the biggest sector. More than half of the deal value went to that sector and followed by consumer tech and then fintech. And finally, geography. The Bay Area and New York are still dominating. New York's share of deals grew slightly year over year. Bay Area, Silicon Valley was still number one with more than half of all fundraising activity. Julia. Well, Kate, certainly amazing to see how the pandemic did not slow things down, only accelerated things. Thanks for joining us with that. And after the break, a $10 billion software company backed by Joe Montana makes its public debut. The CEO of GitLab is next. More Tech Check is after this. Software developer company GitLab making its market debut today. Shares priced above the target at 77 bucks a share. And joining us now from the NASDAQ is GitLab co-founder and CEO Sid Sabrandish. Uh, Sid, good to have you. So uh, 10 billion plus valuation on what looks to me like about a quarter bi- uh, billion annual revenue run rate. Did that surprise you? It's great. We're, thanks for having me here. And we're super excited about this uh, opportunity we're the leading DevOps platform, and DevOps is changing the world. It's the way modern companies deliver software, and they all want to get better at it. And we're enabling companies like Goldman Sachs, Siemens, T-Mobile to do that better. Goldman Sachs was able to go faster on improving their most important application from two weeks to two hours with GitLab. And we're super excited to take the company public today. Yeah, you guys are often compared to GitHub, which Microsoft bought uh, a few years back, but you've expanded your offerings. H- how are you able to provide so many different product offerings and services with a globally distributed workforce? You don't technically have uh, a headquarters uh, at the same time. Yeah, it's been great because we're open core. So our customers and users can contribute back to the platform. And that's why we've been able to build something that lets you do everything from planning what you're going to make, making it, deploying it, all the way to monitoring it. And that's enabled our customers to be way more effective. We're independent of any cloud, and we got awesome companies like AWS and GCP partnering with us, co-selling us, and that's been great. Our customers want to be using multiple clouds and be independent of any cloud. Sid, um, John just mentioned this, but the fact that you are a remote-only company have always been remote-only. I'm wondering if you think that's given you an advantage for the past 18 months of the pandemic and has influenced the way you create products for customers. Yeah, all remote really allowed us to hire the best people wherever they are. We have team members in 65 countries. It's also a great way for people who have kind of experienced remote work now with the pandemic when they are their companies are going back to hybrid. Sometimes they, they are on the second team at their, their company. They don't have the same access to information. And they look to companies like GitLab because then they're sure they're on the same level as everyone else. And because we're remote, we work online and our customers are right there with us. We had an engineer who said, like, I don't know who's this person giving me all these instructions. And it, it turned out to be a customer who was watching the issue because they really, really cared about what that engineer was developing. Well, it's quite a milestone, quite a valuation. Uh, Sid, uh, thanks for being with us, co-founder and CEO of GitLab. Thanks for having me. If you missed part of the show, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. 
You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. Facebook continues to deal with the fallout from Francis Haugen's testimony, now clamping down on who has access to its internal message boards in an effort to minimize leaks. Now, we found out about this through a leaked internal memo. Facebook shares are down about 13 percent in the last month. John, you can't uh, forget about the irony here, but also I think that there's just going to be a lot of focus on what Facebook says in its earnings, which are a week from Monday. It'll be interesting to see if they say anything about a slowdown in advertising. Yeah, yeah, Carl, one of the more surprising aspects of the story to me was as focused as Facebook says they are on user privacy, and there's some evidence of that, the, the fact that they let so many employees have access to so much internal information, including Francis Haugen, who was able to download that, apparently without being detected at the time. Yeah, uh, they definitely, I guess, are trying to remedy that from their own point of view. Uh, one more thing, guys. Uh, Tech Check, unbelievably, made its own debut six months ago. Tech Check. Tech Check starts now. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm back out in the field. Another must-see show on tap today. I forget that there are memes on this show. I brought these guys, too, today. They're ready for air. That's, I didn't put that in there. I don't know about hot girls, so I mean, we can have hot IPOs. We can all be hot. Why not exercise and be on CBC? Speaking of the groundbreaking of the Clippers' new arena, very pumped up about the development of the new toilets. He almost got flushed there. Number two is never good enough. That's where the magic happens. Hey. I look like I'm landing a plane. What's up, beans? We got to give a lot of credit to the people behind the scenes who made this show happen. Yo. This is Teddy. So, yeah. Peace, everyone. Scan this QR code. It'll take you to our website where we'll post our signature digital pieces. Every company is now a tech company. But every company is not a good tech company. Everything we do now is somehow related to tech. We've got lots more ahead. We're only getting started. <laughs> Six months of Tech Check uh, now in the books, and we're excited for Deirdre to rejoin us on Monday. John, I still think back to that first Twitter spaces that we did the night before the premiere of this show. We were going to try to cover tech in a new and different way, and the market sure has handed us no shortage of uh, story ideas. They have, and Julia, as, as our viewers know, this is a very, very serious show. Very serious. We have no fun <laughs> at all, but we, we cover tech very no, seriously. But no, <laughs> yeah, no fun at all. But I also think it's just great to see how we've, we've expanded Tech Tech beyond just this television platform. We do these live streams that have been so fantastic. So many interviews with big CEOs and rising companies, Carl. Yeah, uh, definitely trying to deliver the content to ways in which the viewer uses them, which is changing all the time. Uh, by the way, guys, it's been a busy week, but tomorrow we will wrap it up with Goldman, uh, PNC, uh, Schwab. Retail sales is on the way tomorrow, along with you, Mish, before we get into the real depths of earnings uh, next week. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. 
See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.